I'm hitting Is it going to bug you if Teddy's barking? I mean, it's, oh, I guess it is because. Oh, I think if Teddy wants to put his voice in this conversation, that is awesome. Okay. Because I'm like, <laughs> we're taping this. <laughs> yeah, that'll be great. Okay. Okay. Welcome to the Accidental Podcast. Sorry, I already said it wrong. Welcome to the Accidental Muralist Podcast. It's not an accidental podcast, although in some ways it is. I'm here today with my dear longtime friend, Patty, Patricia Joe Benson Carey. And it feels a little like a full circle moment. Not that this podcast is ending or anything, but Patty was my first podcast guest back in, I want to say, March or April of 2020. Yeah. And back then we talked about the difference between healing and being cured. And we're kind of, okay, so this is the final module in Heart School, which is my little project that I created starting last fall. Each month has a theme. They're spelling out an acronym. This is the last one. Our letter is L. And I will make you wait no longer, dear listener. The word today is loss. And that might be surprising because, you know, I'm usually trying to be upbeat and encourage people to embrace your creative spirit and go try things. And, and so loss might seem like a little bit of a downer to end on. But actually, I think it's really important and ties into everything else we've been talking about. And it's something that we don't talk about enough in our culture, I believe. So that's why I wanted to have a conversation with Patty, because she's somebody who I talk to a lot about everything, but the downs as well as the ups. Um, so welcome, Patty. Thank you. I just wanted to get your voice in, because I'm like talking a lot. Happy and, to be back. Yeah, and you might hear the voice of Teddy, my my god dog, <laughs> and and one of my biggest fans, I think, and and it goes both ways. I'm one of Teddy's biggest fans, so he's right at Patty's side and might put his voice into the podcast as well. Yeah, he just said good morning. Yeah, so Patty, I'll give a little bit of actually, Patty, why don't you give a brief summary of the kind of work that you're doing right now and then that will I think make it a little bit obvious why I chose you to talk with me about loss. I work for a cancer institute in Seattle and I facilitate a couple different classes and I work both with survivors and with people who have no cure so people who will be in treatment for the rest of their lives. So loss comes up a lot and loss is so broad you know you and i have talked a lot about the range small losses to extremely large losses like the death of someone so i believe that this is a super important conversation because i don't think you can talk about life without talking about loss there's teddy <laughs> he agrees he agrees <laughs> Yeah, <clears throat> and so we might talk today about death because that's, you know, like Patty said, that's like the biggest loss that most people deal with in their lives. And it's such an integral part of life, but something that in our culture we like to avoid talking about or we like to pretend that it's not going to happen to us or anyone that we love and, you know, no use dwelling on it because that's morose or depressing. And I... I don't identify as a Buddhist. I don't know if you do, Patty, although I know you've studied yeah. Buddhism, but... Yeah, it's, it's a part <clears throat> of my life. I don't know if I would say I'm a Buddhist, but I definitely subscribe to a lot of the philosophy and practice a lot of the recommendations of someone who would say they're a Buddhist or someone who would check that box. And one of the things that I understand about Buddhism is this embrace and like uh, of death, the idea of death and keeping that kind of present in uh -huh. throughout life, which 
again, can sound kind of like a bummer to people who are used to sort of our Western Judeo-Christian way of thinking, but I think one thing that it does is makes you more present and appreciative of the day and the moment. And, you know, when you have this sense of life being uh, temporary, that's another thing that I think about when I think of Buddhism is the impermanence of everything, Mm -hmm. um, including our life. Mm -hmm. The idea of not getting too closely attached to anything because everything can change. Few things are guaranteed. And it's that attachment or non-attachment or grasping is a Buddhist concept that really resonates with me that I wanted to talk about today too, because I think that's sort of an epidemic in our culture is this, um, and we see it a lot right now in politics and culture where there are segments of society who are grasping onto their ideas of how the world should be, the good old days and how it used to be or how they experienced it to be or imagined that it was and kind of the fear and scarcity mostly fear mindset that goes along with that of fear of change really because that's Mm -hmm. that's what loss is and that's what grief represents and that's what grasping is trying to prevent is the impermanence and how everything changes all the time Mm-hmm. And expectations, you know, our expectations of how life should move, how we should move through life. The expectations, I think so much of loss is tied to our expectations, often unrealistic expectations, like nothing bad should happen. Yeah, and I think it, it makes me think especially of white culture and how for a lot of the time in the last century, white supremacy culture really was effective. It totally worked in in sheltering a a certain segment of people, white people, in Mm -hmm. this notion of safety, security, um, abundance, you kind of infinite possibilities, even I would say like eternal life and, and this notion of never-ending happiness and and in some I think some people actually had experiences of that not that life was always happy-go-lucky but there has been this sense of safety and security and you know we're number one and this mirage because along with that was the very effective shielding of everything that needed to happen behind the scenes in other parts of the world and other segments of our own society to make that happen, you know, kind of slave labor and sweatshops and sending garbage overseas and, you know, kind of hiding all the ugliness Mm -hmm. of life and dumping it onto other people. And that veil is dropping now. And Mm -hmm. there's a real panic sort of, I see among a certain part of the population to go scramble back to the days when they could be happily ignorant um, and not have to deal with what feels like a huge loss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I have to mention one of our favorite words, vulnerability, being vulnerable enough to talk about loss. We're kind of a private culture when it about loss and any kind of pain. And usually there is pain and suffering surrounded around loss. So it's, um, I like that pulling back the curtain. It means a lot of different things to me. So in your classes, when you are working with people who are facing a huge loss, either, I mean, already, if they're a cancer patient, they, they have already experienced a loss of life as they knew it. And you have this experience too, from your history, uh, just a reminder, if people didn't listen mm-hmm. to our episode in 2020, Um, Patty was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer in 2009 and you know I was living farther away from her at that time and Patty's in Seattle I'm in Portland but I was living in Oakland at the time and I remember visiting and 
you had lost all your hair, you were having fun with wigs and scarves, and we were laughing with our friends, but also I was like in tears the next minute thinking, oh my God, my, you know, my dear friend is, might die, because it seemed very real. And, yeah. and it was real, like it was a real possibility for you at that time. So I'm speaking with somebody who has been, you know, at death's door and then traveled back and now works to help other people deal with that, what that's like to face your own mortality. And that's the space that you work in, which is so like juicy and rich and also scary and full of emotion. Yeah, yeah full of a lot of big, big emotions. Yeah, I center my classes around a philosophy of, first of all, acknowledging, you know, that so much happens in our lives that we can't control. And American culture is, you know, we like to control things. We like black and white versus gray. And um, there is a lot of loss in safety when there's any kind of surprise, you know, a health crisis or a pandemic, a crisis that affects, you know, a whole planet. And we... You know, some people want to lean in a little bit and um, reflect on loss, and many people want to pull back and not think about it. They just sort of want to keep busy. So I help people uh, reflect and focus a little bit on loss, and it's a little bit of education combined with a little bit of hopefulness because we do learn so much about loss, and we can gain some clarity about you know, how we're leading our lives. And some people get that right away and other people, you know, even after weeks of being in a class with me, they're still struggling with, you know, who am I after this experience? What have I lost? Um, you know, what have I gained? Um, but it's really about moving forward. And, you know, loss and grief are such complicated feelings. And, you know, I'm certainly not an expert but I, I do believe in reflection, reflection over loss. And I think sometimes people think time alone will heal things. And, and I'm not a big believer in that. It is nice to get to a one month or a one year anniversary if you're someone who has had cancer. But generally speaking, time alone doesn't heal us. So, so much of my life philosophy is around healing and how can we heal from loss? unexpected loss of safety in life or a loss of a, a breast or a loss of a partner or a loss of a plan that we thought life was going to move along this way. Yeah, all those things in the, the time. I agree with you that that phrase time heals all wounds is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, let's do away with that one. Because and you you said something that I made a note of that people to avoid it will keep busy as a, I would say a numbing strategy. Mm -hmm. And you know, sometimes that's important. We all have overwhelming sensations in life that we kind of, for our own well-being, need to numb ourselves from. So I can't put anything categorically in the, into the good or bad pile, because I'm sort of trying to do away with the words mm -hmm. good and bad. So mm -hmm. numbing has its place, but in our culture, I would say that keep numbing through keeping busy is super popular. Um, and the flip side of that, or the argument that you and I have talked about both hearing from people who are doing that is like, oh, I don't want to wallow in my self-pity and f feel sorry for myself. And um, there are some other phrases that, you know, navel, it's navel gazing to uh -huh. just sit and reflect on my suffering and then closely on the heels of that is there's so many other people suffering in the world worse than mine and you know like and that's kind of um that's a very prevalent thought and it it actually makes a lot of sense like there's a lot of logic in it and that yeah there are uh -huh. people suffering more than me i think people feel a couple of things. One is if I reflect on it too much, it will make me feel worse. Mm -hmm. Or I will reflect on it. I will reflect on a loss and I won't know how to get help. You know, it is harder to get the right kind of help and find the right kind of relationships um, than it really should be. 
Yeah, and this idea that you kind of mentioned of if I go there, like if I let myself feel the feelings, I will become overwhelmed by them and not be able to get out. I think that's mm -hmm. a that's a perception, and maybe it will require professional help or you know some support person because those are hard. You know, some of these feelings can be very hard to deal with, but and not but. And what I've noticed, and I haven't been at the brink of death the way some people have. I've had other, I would say my biggest loss that I still, you know, I think I'll be processing for the rest of my life was my marriage. And, but more than that was the, the idea I had in my head of what marriage would be for me. And then the experience of what my marriage was, and then the loss of that innocence and a whole set of beliefs that surrounded my concept of that and the failure that I felt and, you know, just dealing with that loss of this thing that was um, in my upbringing, just a given, a staple, a central point of my life. And then having to sort of deconstruct and rebuild my ideas of what a relationship like that could be like <laughs> mm -hmm. and let go of you know a thousand preconceived notions of what it what I thought it would be like mm -hmm. um, I forgot where I was exactly going with that oh but mm -hmm. what I've what I found in just dealing with I'm jumping around a little bit but we you mentioned a while back the big losses and we've been kind of focusing on death and then I just brought in divorce and cancer and you know where those are the big ones but I am also starting to give myself the grace of recognizing the small losses and this the first one that jumps to mind is I used to go to this hip-hop class on Sundays in Portland that I loved and then because of the pandemic it the class and, you know, we were there one week, the next week class was canceled, and then it never happened again. So, <laughs> and that's a bummer. I have other, a lot of other dancing in my life that's great. But, you know, it's just like it stings. I had this thing that I loved this hour of the week, and it, poof, gone, and it, I don't think it will come back. Um, so giving myself the grace to acknowledge, like, it's a small thing. And yes, the world is full of much bigger problems, but it's okay for me to acknowledge for five minutes, that's a bummer. And to kind of sit with those feelings. And what what I found that happens when I sit with the feelings of any small thing like that, disappointment or some awkward conversation that leaves you kind of thrown off, or you know, any number of little small suffering is when I sit with it, and feel it and maybe let a tear or two come, then it passes through. And that's that's been one of the huge learnings of my life because I used to be a, a really good grasper of trying to, and a distractor of trying to like not go to those hard places. And mm -hmm. now, now I am getting a lot more skilled at noticing like, oh, something's off. like something's churning in my stomach or tensing my shoulders and let me just sit for a minute with what this is and figure it out and not that I have to put a lot of brain power because it's not always brain power it's just sort of feeling it uh -huh. and then yeah. it doesn't last forever because like we said a while ago everything is temporary including our emotions uh -huh. and we've all had so many small losses during the pandemic, but you layer those on top of one another and they become very impactful. And some people feel like something happens and it's in your past, so why deal with it? Because, yeah, you know, yeah. we are in the present and here we are talking about the importance of being in the present. But there's this Aboriginal poet whose name I will try to say, it's Ujiru Nunukul. And he says, let no one say the past is dead. It is all around us and within. And that's why mm -hmm. I get uncomfortable when in my work, when I am around people who just kind of brush off stuff like, oh, you know, I can't, 
I can't go to my book group or I can't do this. And it's no big deal, but it is a big deal because for some people, those things are lifelines. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I work with a lot of older people who may not have family nearby. And so those little, those hip hop classes or those connections with people are losses that are much more impactful than we realize. So it's, you know, it's like you want to have some perspective, but you also want to realize, yeah, you know, these little losses have great impact as well. And it's especially, I feel like there's especially a trap in these pandemic times where our little losses, like the book group that ended or the class that ended or whatever, feel so small in comparison to all the people who are dying from this pandemic. So it almost feels like we don't have permission to acknowledge our little losses because there are so many other big losses. But I would say comparison is the thief of joy, which we're not really um, talking about joy here, but I'll just put that phrase up uh, there anyway. Uh-huh. And, and we and this idea of like a suffering Olympics, we don't need to engage in the suffering Olympics because nobody uh, wins uh-huh. that. <laughs> and, uh-huh. Yeah, it's just no point. Like, it's okay. And even the word suffering, I'll have to say that probably up to five years ago, or maybe even less than five years ago, I couldn't relate to the word suffering because I, my idea of suffering was like the children I would see on TV suffering from a famine in Africa, like that's suffering or Mm -hmm. slavery. When I learned about slavery, that is suffering or children dying of leukemia or, you know, like suffering needed to be enormous and life consuming. And I had a, you know, just kind of a normal middle class life. And so how, you know, there, suffering wasn't something that I related to at all. I put it on these big catastrophes around the world. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. Like the word couldn't even. Yeah, I know it seems gigantic. Like it has to be this gigantic thing. But think of all the people who suffer when they lose a pet or these connections we have to things are important and and do make a big difference. And it doesn't have to be these grandiose famine type situations. When you were talking about joy a minute ago, I think there is joy in reflecting on loss. Because when we think about loss, we're also, joy is possible, I should say. When we're thinking about it, we're also remembering all the joyful filled moments. You know, so if we're mourning like both of my parents have passed away and I you know there's a lot of loss there. And when I think about them, there's a lot of sadness, but with that also comes these joyful moments. So I try to steer people into realizing that, you know, we're reflecting on say an illness situation and we're wondering, you know, who am I after this experience? Who am I after this illness or divorce? Or who am I after moving into a retirement community and giving up my home or whatever it is. And I think, it's important to feel what, you know, what can I leave behind and what can I carry forward with me? I'm, I'm big about this, the hopefulness and the moving forward, even in, even in situations that seem like there is no, there will be no happy ending, air quotes. And in the same way, people rarely ask, oh, how is your healing going? They rarely ask, you know, how, how is it with the loss? They'll say, you know, how are you doing? And a lot of people, again, the language is hard. You know, the language is so hard to find when we're trying to help others go through loss, um, big or small. And um, I think it's really important to consider those small losses. You know, that we both have children who are young adults and, um, you know, a lot of expectations around children. And, you know, we watch them grow up and we have these ideas of who they, who they were going to become. And, and like with adults, young adults have zigzags in their patterns and we just so hold so tightly to these these ideas of what a good life means and a good life comes with gains and losses and and I sound like a broken record because I'm always feel like I'm always saying the same thing, but we just it takes constant reminder. We have to constantly practice these things. Um, even if we logically understand them, we just, we've gotten to these other patterns of thinking and brushing aside that we shouldn't feel this. Instead, we should feel grateful. Well, yes, mm-hmm. it's both. <laughs> yes. It, 
Yeah, and I'm glad that you pointed out the joy because you're right. I immediately was like, oh, we're not talking about joy, but I have heard this concept, and I think of this in terms of like a balance scale. And we're both, you and I are both Libras, so we can. This is the balance thing where, and I've heard this concept, which resonates with me, that you can only feel as much joy as you can handle grief. That probably came from Brene Brown. I'm not sure. Mm, interesting. Mm. And so if you're numbing and same thing, you know, when people talk about addiction or numbing with, let's say, alcohol, you can't selectively numb out the grief and still feel the joy. You're numbing all the emotions. So you're reducing your ability to feel any of those or maybe busyness is a better addiction example. And I feel that way too, like there's the balance, you know, I'm, I'm using my hands to show like there's a balance and joy is going one way and grief is going the other way. But when you were talking about history and leaving the past behind us, I have also heard that we can only move far enough for, or see far enough forward as we can reflect backward. Like if you're avoiding examining your past, you're also going to have trouble, you know, dreaming ahead to the future. Not that I think that it's not about planning. Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit against this, you know, how people in our culture, we're taught to be planners and have our five-year plan or 10-year plan. And what do we want our life to look like? And that, as we've talked about, like what a trap, mm -hmm. <laughs> what a setup yeah. for yeah. massive disappointment and grief and loss and and then you're supposed to be grateful and happy about it all and happy all the time and yeah it can set us up for feeling miserable <laughs> when i ask people you know consider what you need to leave behind it's many times i'm trying to get them to reflect on patterns that may not help them or patterns where they stay stuck you know that that stuckness and you you know you've written about my doodle book, Doodle Your Way Out of Stuckness, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, and I, I'm so curious about how people heal from loss. I'm always curious about, you know, how are you going to know you're healing or how, you know, how are you trying to move through this loss? For some people, they, they feel a little paralyzed, and so they just need some space. They just need to do nothing. They need to... Hurry slowly, as I like to say. Mm -hmm. Hurry slowly. Mm -hmm. um, and then for other people, it's just staying open. And, and you know, I, I just love hearing about how people find the strength to move through a loss of something, big or small. If they, if they rely on podcasts or if they play music or, go, you know, go into nature. I, I, I love, I'm so curious about that piece of, loss you know we all feel loss it's inevitable and how you know how do we move through it i feel like you um, have just cued me up like this big softball because that that makes me think of creativity and mm -hmm. i am not an expert in trauma but i'm really interested in it and i've read a lot and i would say the same about you right like right we're, we yes. are not trauma specialists but we are very interested in this whole area of psychology and healing and i heard i read once and i can't remember where it was probably in the body keeps the score maybe this idea that trauma when you have trauma and i'm i'm not taking trauma lightly making light of it but let, mm -hmm. i'm just using it because i i read this about trauma and we can maybe say the same thing about loss there's if you have some kind of trauma if you don't process it you will inflict that trauma on to other people oh maybe it's resma minicum who talks about mm -hmm. what's his phrase that you sort of blow it through like if you've been abused you're not processing the trauma that you've suffered you're going to blow that trauma through the next person Mm -hmm. The other alternative is you can transform it into art. Mm -hmm. And 
yeah, I could talk all day about the subtle healing power of creativity. And by art, I don't mean to, you know, freak out every listener like, oh, I'm not an artist or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. Like, you don't need to be a painter with art in museums, just like sitting down and using your hands or making music on the piano or whatever you're, you know, cooking, baking, whatever you're doing to sort of work through trauma and loss and and because you can transform it into something beautiful and if by avoiding it i think what happens is it festers and it just sits there and then it bursts out in ways that you won't be able to predict so it's kind of ironic because i think it might be people who are grasping onto control the hardest who might end up losing control in the most extreme ways mm. due to their av avoidance of just feeling the feelings, you know, and we kind of see that with out in the world. That makes a lot of sense. I was reading recently something about creativity and, you know, the, the link between curiosity, you know, when we're in a creative mode, we're really curious about you know, creating something or, or, you know, doing something. And when we are curious, we can't really be worried in, you know, because it just mm -hmm. opens a different pathway, a different highway in our brain. And I find that so interesting. It's like we don't stay stuck in anxiety or worry if we're moving toward curiosity. So when I am feeling big feelings, you know, worry and fear over a loss of some kind i try to move to that place of curiosity and and a lot of it is creativity i you know i try to get markers in my hands or a paintbrush or just looking at paper <laughs> you know, i love paper art yeah i'm really glad you mentioned the creativity piece because it's undervalued and underused i think because again of that judgment of well i'm not a creative person however of course we're all creative beings um, but yeah, that's, it's an interesting link, creativity and, and healing and loss. And to get people out of that, I'm not creative mindset. I, I do point them to curiosity because like you said, it just switches you into, and sometimes I talk about this, like, just put yourself in researcher mode. Like what's going to happen mm -hmm. if I try this thing that I've never tried. And I think the same could be applied to situations involving loss. Like what would happen if I just, and we have a hard time with ideas like surrender, but you know, if I stopped fighting this thing and just became curious about how, what's gonna change, how, you know, what will I learn, I guess is maybe the most realistic, like it would probably be hard for somebody who just got a diagnosis to be like, oh, how is my life going to change? Like that would really suck to think about, probably. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. what, you know, what learning is going to come out of this? Because it will be, like I mentioned with my divorce, there was so much learning that I feel like I won't get to the end of all the learning from mm -hmm. that. It will, mm -hmm. I will be processing and learning from that experience my entire life mm -hmm. even though I have now as of this year I've been divorced as long as I was married which was 16 years wow. I'm 16 years past it <laughs> wow. but still it was such there were such formative years like I was a young adult up to age 40 and and I was having children and you know figuring out my career there were, it was such a formative, juicy time in life that all was wrapped, you know, there's just so much there to learn from. And I think, I think to have a creative, curious mind, you have to adopt this idea that everything is my teacher, everything that happens to be to me, whether I classify it as good or bad, which is why I'm trying to get away from classifying things as good or bad. They mm -hmm. all have something to teach. Mm -hmm. Me too. I'm trying to keep that in mind very much so do you think you learn a lot about this wounded healer concept and how do you think loss for many people who don't know that concept how do you think loss 
and the wounded healer ties in. Oh, thanks um, for bringing that up. Yeah. The wounded healer are, is an archetype I've learned about from, from my mythologists, um, Michael Mead and Clarissa Pinkola Estes sep separately, like I listen to I them. love how you call them your mythologists. They are, they're like my personal <laughs> teachers. I listen to them so much and yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's just opened up this whole different way of thinking that is ancient. It, well, here's one thing that it blows open. This is not what you asked, but this whole notion that in, in the US or I would say like, I like the term end stage capitalism because that implies that it's going to end and turn into something better. But we have this idea that humans evolve on a steadily upward graph, like a rising graph where we are getting smarter and better and more high tech and we're, we're evolving into higher order creatures than our, you know, clunky, ignorant caveman ancestors. Like we have this concept, right? that those people who came before us didn't really know anything and now we're the smart ones. And in so many ways, it's the opposite. <laughs> and we're yeah. learning from, thankfully, from indigenous wisdom. But so that's why I love mythology because it, it's ways of understanding humanity from our ancient past, you know, elders from stories that are so old that nobody knows who wrote them. Nobody needs to be the author and have the byline and get the credit and earn money from these stories. They're so old that they predate any capitalist society or any colonial And they're found all over the world and they're very similar all over the world, which tells you something about the truth of them. But anyway, so the wounded healer is an archetype which just means, because that's sort of a newish word for me, just like a, a characteristic that can be present in any human at different times. So we all, at certain times, might embody the archetype of a mother or a, the, a warrior or these different ways of behaving in the world. Um, so they're within each, all, each of us. And the wounded healer is, well, it you have an idea from the words, but the, the concept that goes with it is you can't authentically be a healer unless you yourself have been wounded and have learned the lessons from that wound. And there's a related idea that I love that is the wound, when you move toward the wound or pay attention to the wound, the gift or your genius will be found right next to it. So this, so the, the opposite of that would be like, we have ideas. I think we can all conjure the idea of, let's say a therapist who kind of is like in the New Yorker cartoons where they're just quietly with their notebook and sort of like the know-it-all person and listening. And it's a very one, one way street where there's the expert and then the person who's wounded and the expert is like, you know, there to somehow cure the, the patient. But, but to mm -hmm. me, that's an example of like, I would not be useful to somebody who was maybe, let's say going through a divorce. If I have never had an experience like that, you would not be teaching cancer patients unless you had deep knowledge from having experienced that. You're, I mean, you could do that. That happens all the time, right? <laughs> it sure does, yeah. But, but there's a level of superficiality and kind of ridiculousness about yeah. teaching or, or helping somebody through something when you have zero experience of that thing. And just because mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with it recently, I will mention that I've been reading this. I'll probably edit this part out, but I've been reading about Cobb construction and natural building material. <laughs> it's tying into everything. I know. I love it. Usually I'm, usually I'm trying to tie flamenco into everything <laughs> or episodes from the office. Right. But the, the, this book called the hand sculpted house, which is about Cobb construction, which is a natural building material that uses sand, clay and straw and, the buildings can last for thousands of years. They're found all over the world in various 
modifications and it's this ancient practice that is sort of coming around again. Um, but he, the, one of the authors talks about all his years in design school and then teaching architecture and his, what he found is that almost zero architects had ever built anything. So they're mm. laying the plans and making all the designs for things that they've never experienced, like how they're going to be constructed. Wow. So he wow. ditched his professorship or whatever and started building and learning by actually doing the thing that he thought he, you know, was told that he was the expert on. So that might not be the best analogy, but it just came to mind because my book is right there. But the wounded healer is, you know, once you hear that concept, it just for me, like so many things that I feel like I am remembering rather than learning. That's a, that's a, a phenomenon yeah. that I feel like is more and more present like this idea. It's almost like unlearning more than learning. You're stripping away mm -hmm. the things that you've learned about the world to reveal what you already came into the world knowing. Mm -hmm. mm, interesting. And the wounded healer is one of those things where of course, like, of course, if you have a wound, you have things to offer other people about your experience of that wound. Patty in your work like and I, I'll just say for our listeners that you have a lot of imposter syndrome because you don't have an MD you're not a registered nurse you're not a blah 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 with all these letters after your name and what I keep reminding you is but you have the lived experience of having been to death's doorstep and then back and then still having questions and the test that you're going to have this afternoon is, you know, like you are living this thing yeah. that is more valuable for your students or clients or whatever you, however you refer to them, than, you know, the doctor with a thousand PhDs who's never had cancer. They, mm -hmm. they might know what the molecules look like under a microscope and, you know, they've watched it from the outside, but you you are like the perfect example of a wounded healer. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I guess, no, I'm, I'm joking. Yeah, thank you. I, I, those words come up a lot and I've been thinking about them and it, it ties in with sharing our stories and it mm -hmm. ties in with being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. It ties in, humility. you know, yeah. yeah, humility, not having shame, you know, so much of the things I've been studying for over a decade, um, as I work through my healing from cancer, and then also other things that have come up in my life since then regarding health surprises. And I, I think how amazing it would be if we all could just gather around our losses more. And I know when the Jewish community, when they lose someone, you know, they, they sit Shiva and people come over and you, you don't even have to say anything, you're just with them. And so I'm just thinking a lot about how we hold our own losses, how we hold the losses of community. You know, I've been thinking a lot about Ukraine. I mean, it, you know, these, the issues just get bigger and bigger. And then I think, oh my gosh, I just, <laughs> I just need to sometimes just, you know, regroup and because I can get overwhelmed about mm -hmm. how much loss there is. But I also recently started reclaiming, you know, a different value system around um, myself as a parent and expectations we have, whether conscious or unconscious around our children. And I'm also just reclaiming, you know, this philosophy is as we age, you know, aging is something that I'm talking more and more about in my classes and especially with women, our relationship to aging. And it's been helpful for me just to, to think of life as just this maze, you know, and I think I was raised, you were raised where if we did these things, then we would be rewarded and it would be the straight path of good partners, good jobs, good lives, good. And I'm just thinking now, it's just really all of this is just a maze and mazes are interesting. They can be hard sometimes, but I, I just like that analogy. I've been reaching for a lot of analogies lately for people who have faced a surprising illness. I use the analogy of an earthquake inside you and that resonates with a lot of people. But um, I think there is so much to be said about loss. And yet there are these sort of quick answers that we often hear, it'll get better or 
just give it a little time. And, you know, I believe those things fundamentally, but I, I, I really think some exploration is just needed. Um, and maybe it's because I'm at midlife, you know, I'm a little bit wiser than I was, you know, in my 20s, I probably, you know, wouldn't be thinking it's important to reflect on loss, but it, it is, it is one of those things where you just look around and there's loss all the time. And it's, it's how we move through these things, you know, on a daily basis, really, not just the big surprises. So I'm glad that you wanted to have a conversation about this because um, just with the pandemic alone, you know, that's so relatable. And then all the million other things that we can all relate to, you know, just the losses of our lives changing in ways that sometimes we don't want them to. So I feel like I'm speaking in circles, but... um, No, I think you've brought us to a really nice kind of wrapping up place. And the the only thing that I want to add is because you brought up aging and we and you mentioned wisdom and we've been talking about loss and the wounded healer and i feel like the the charge that we older people middle aged and beyond people have now is to and actually i feel like younger people are just naturally wiser these days mm-hmm. than we were so it's not just for older people but maybe too to inspire older people who, you know, are, have bought into the model of like, oh, you're useful and then you retire and you become useless and you, you know, like there's nobody needs you anymore in old age, which is a sad function of how we treat old people Mm -hmm. in our society. But instead we who have suffered, I'll just use the word suffer because I can handle it now, who have suffered loss, (laughs) we have, things we have hopefully learned or are learning from those losses that we can then turn around and share and help others go through it. Cause that is the point of elders that mm-hmm. elders become elders by not only experiencing loss, but learning something from it and then using their experience and learning to help those coming up behind us. So, Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, like hooray for aging. Mm-hmm. Our youth focused mm-hmm. culture is just stuck in ignorance and naivety, naivete, because mm-hmm. there's a point yeah. in growing older. We have amassed experiences and hopefully learning and, and mm-hmm. then what we do with those is like, it really affects the quality of our later years. Are we going to just sort of more in not to yeah in, i want to say in retirement homes but that sounds super judgy against people who live in retirement homes so it's not about where you live it's about what you're doing with your later days mm-hmm. yeah i agree well oh go ahead you had one just so many seeds for thought here we could go on <laughs> yeah as we do <laughs> as we do but I think this is a great place to end it. I feel I feel like we have covered a lot, but also I feel kind of complete. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah, I feel I feel like we've raised a lot of interesting things for people to consider and 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 myself too. Just keep staying curious. Yeah. Em- embrace the learning and the loss and remember that it won't hurt forever mm-hmm. or the, there will also be joy in it yeah we, we don't need to summarize all the things we said it's out there <laughs> <laughs> but we're so good at it <laughs> well my friend yeah thank thanks, you Sam. thank you thank you i appreciate your time and been on my mind a lot just what's going on in my life and beyond so thank you And just another note of transparency, because I think it's important to point these things out. When I contacted Patty about doing this, she's immediately said, I'm, I'm having a bout of imposter syndrome, like, ah, and she's had some anxiety behind the scenes about, I don't know what I'm going to say. What do I, And, (laughs) and from my angle, I was like, I am zero percent worried about that because we can always find something to say and our conversations are always interesting and juicy so so just 
even I just, I'm, I'm still practicing i'm still practicing on yeah on, on the imposter syndrome as are we all in, yes. in various situations and i just want to yeah. say that you know even podcast guests <laughs> Even people who've known for 40 years. I know. Yeah. Even my friend of, yeah, since ninth grade, however, whatever that was, 1978 or something. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, really? What are we going to talk about? <laughs> I guess it's not 40 years, but I don't know how many years. But yeah, I know. It has. Yeah. I think it's been more than 40 years. Oh, we could do gosh. the math later. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, to our listeners, we will catch you next time on the Accidental Mirrorless Podcast. And some quick notes, um, head over to my website, allhandsart.com, and you can do a few things there. You can sign up for my email newsletters, my blog posts that I send out several times a month. If you're not already subscribed, that would be a great thing to do. You can also find out about this heart school experiment slash group of explorations that we've been doing this year in 2021-22. Uh, you'll see a heading for heart school. And if you are exploring your creativity or want to get a little bit braver in taking little baby steps toward it, I'm doing a monthly online gathering that I'm calling the Doodling Lunatics, where we are timing it with the phases of the moon, just because we need a little more female power and energy in the world. Um, and I like honoring La Luna. And we get together online. I lead some doodling warm-ups. We have a little sometimes quiet, sometimes chatty, um, session where we just are practicing putting our pen to paper and seeing what comes out and also noticing what goes on in our minds. I've found doodling to be a really great um, learning field for listening to what my inner critic has to say, noticing it, and then sort of wrestling with it or deciding what is worth listening to and what is complete BS that I should let go of. So that's the doodling lunatics. You can find information about all those things over at allhandsart.com. Thanks. And I'll catch you next time.